Welcome back, film fans. This is Beer, Bourbon, and a Movie. I'm Tawana. And I'm Vaughn. And we're two filmmaking cinephiles dedicated to the art of film, the taste of a good beverage, and everything in between. We're glad you're back, people. Grab a seat, film fans, beer drinkers, and bourbon lovers alike. This is episode 60 in the apocalypse. (laughs) For sure. Reviewing Crip Camp and the Platform. Yes, Netflix. So, Tawana, what are we sipping on today since we're all in isolation and separate from each other? Right, right, right. So, welcome back from fans. We're so glad you were able to join us and we were able to pull this together. Uh, and make way out of no way, but there's always a way in in 2020. Thankfully, um, we hope everyone is safe and home. But uh, what am I drinking? So, when we decided to do the podcast, I ventured out, and the issue is that I'm a big fan of beer. Obviously, well, I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of Mexican. I'm a big fan of German. And as you know, so I have the license all day. So the issue is Mexico closed down a great deal of their plants and uh, load, um, uh, so the ones I was interested in, I should say, uh, are very expensive. So beer is sort of like changing. It used to be super affordable in comparison to Vaughn. I guess it still is in a sense. But what happened was, um, I've noticed there's been a, a, a sharp increase. So let's say, for everybody who knows beer, you're talking about um, all the Modelo brands, which are Mexican, Corona, um, uh, Dos Equis, like all those brands um, are like $14 for a six pack now. And I can only assume, right? I can only assume it's from the lack of accessibility here in this uh, sort of pandemic state we're in. And so I smartly, not like patting you back, stuff on the back, I smartly <laughs> devised a little system where uh, they also sell tall cans, right? So everybody knows what a tall can is, right? It's a tall can, about 24 ounces of beer, which is basically like a pint eight ounces, which if you break it down, really, it's two beers. So now those are like $3. So if you buy six of them, you've got yourself two. Well, if you buy three of them, right, three would equal to a six pack. So that yeah. would be about 10 bucks, which is around the price of a six pack, uh, of a good six pack, you know, this um, an accessible six pack. We're not breaking it down into like, um, like specifically micro brews and stuff like that, um, or American crafts. Uh, those, though, those some of those were kind of high too. So um, it could just really be about accessibility. So I brought six, which equals out to twenty bucks, and that's essentially a case. 
a little less, but it's it's like yeah, it's like, it's like a twelve pack case, like okay. So anyway, um, so that's my good information for you. So if you feel like you're out there and 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 what you want to drink is getting a little pricey, try looking into like how they're selling them singularly and do just do the math and see if you can work it out to be something more affordable. Because one tall can equals two, so you're good to go. <laughs> so anyway, um, do a Modelo Negra for now because we're doing the platform today and the platform is all about accessible resources, right? Just finding right. things available to you and what you've been presented in sort of a pandemic or post-apocalyptic state. Uh, and so Modelo Negra, it, it, I've done it before on the show. I'm a fan of it probably because originally the recipe is German. It's a Duncan style lager. Um, that was uh, sort of first brewed in Mexico by Austrian immigrants and was introduced as a draft beer. And so they took it from there and it comes in this like, um, I really love their bottles because they're, they're sort of, they, they say they're unusually wide shape because they have this wide bottom bottle and this, this uh, gold tray mark and this little narrow uh, top. But uh, I think it, it, it kind of works in reverse in terms of letting it breathe. So uh, uh, get your favorite beer glass and pour it in, let the head rise and enjoy. Nice and malty, really tasty, really great with like uh, meats and chocolates. So check it out. I love it. Vaughn, what you got going on? Well, I'm doing Rebel Yell. One, because I'm also in a situation of isolation. I'm I'm actually not in Harlem, where I normally live. I'm in Brooklyn right now, subletting while some work is being done in my building. And um, so I'm in an isolation in a different place. And me, Kevin, and Tawana, since we're separately recording this audio for the show, uh, I felt like I needed a yell. And so I got Rebel Yell. And yes, we reviewed it sometime before on the show, but it just kind of spoke to how I was feeling personally and internally I just wanted to let it all out and, and have a good yell so this one spoke to me in that way um, the good thing about Rebel Yell is similar to how Tawana described her bottle because this bottle is it's a big wide bottle with a small spout to pour out similar to how Tawana was describing her bottle but the beautiful thing about Rebel Yell it's 80 proof it's uh, basically 40% alcohol per volume Nice honey, honey and buttery notes. Good on the nose. It's a little, little spicy finish, with a little bit of raisin taste to it. Real cool. A lot of corn, of course. It's typical corn, wheat, and malt uh, ingredients. So um, it's good in that way. Today I'm sipping it with a little cola, but for my next shot of it, because I'm also on a diet, I need to get away from this cola. I'm gonna put a little pinch of honey in a shot and call it a day, because it would be really Ooh. good with some honey. Because it really remember, has that note. Do you remember when we first did Rebel Yell, which we rolled completely off the rails? <laughs> that was a hell of a show. Got yeah, it was. Twisted. Um, like four of us. Who was? It was Sean. Sean. Um, is his last name Rojas? Yes, Sean Rojas and uh, yes. Alex. Yes, and Alex, of course. And we were using, Alex had a, a Brooklyn-made uh, honey, and that's how we were drinking it. We were just putting honey in it and, and sipping it that way. 
And it was absolutely making us lose our minds because it was also <laughs> sodium tasty. <laughs> we also got so fucked up. It was yeah, great. It's a great show. Um, I'll um. That's I'll a good memory. It. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good memory. Shout out to Alex and and Jen who were not able to have their big wedding celebration this month in April. So, um, but we're still thinking about them, and it's going to happen whenever we're yeah. done with the pandemic. Yeah, when everybody returns to real life. And then, so when we post this, I'll put in the show notes um, the link to that specific uh, episode because it's still up and you can still listen to it. And then join in the fun if you haven't already. Or if you're a big fan, you could just revisit. So Any of the episodes, jump into them. Yeah, please, please, by all means. I mean, it's the pandemic. What else you got to do? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Uh, let's talk let's about industry in. news a little bit. Oh, you got some industry news? Yes, yes. Can There's a lot it. happening in uh, industry news. One of the biggest, saddest notes for me is what's happening with AMC. They're about to file for bankruptcy. So during this crazy time, they were always they were already in a financial situation, the company was, and right. their theaters, and now because of the pandemic and having to close the theaters and not be able to pay their employees and not be able to provide movies for people, right. um, they actually might close a lot of their theaters. And so that's going to impact... So much. how a lot of people around the country view movies. And um, right. I think what's going to happen is hopefully they'll be able to come back after this because we, at this point now we have no idea when we're going to be able to go back to viewing movies in a theater again and, and, oh. and having that kind of theater experience. But right. I hope that eventually they will be able to come back and rebound from this. And I just feel sorry for not only that company but all of your theater workers, the people that serve right. in the popcorn, the people that sweep in the floors, the you yeah. know, all those people that are involved in, in the film process and even the film process itself. A lot of productions have been stopped. Oh, yeah. A lot of, you know, we're not gonna have that summer blockbuster season that has been pushed yeah. out till most of a lot of those films are gonna be the films that we thought were gonna happen in March and April were either streaming now or they're going to be pushed back to like the fall. So it's going right. to affect this whole pandemic situation is affecting everything. There is no productions happening right now. Yeah. A lot of your TV shows have stopped production on shows. A lot yeah. of your uh, season finales were cut short. And, um, uh. and so it's just been a lot of changes, you know, cause, and so at this point now, I think that the industry can has been, canceled so you don't the the film festival circuit is also going to be affected by this there was no south by southwest and so i think that we the the impact on film and television is going to be big so i just hope that we all just kind of hang in there and and find films and 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 television shows the best way we can stream what we can go back and watch some old stuff if you if you feel the need anything to lift your spirits during this time of isolation. So I think that that's one of the big things that I've noticed that have really come out of the pandemic. Right. So a lot of things have changed, yes, but some things are still available. So um, if you really want to see some of these films that we've obviously missed the openings of, they are releasing them digitally. So you can yep. go see them, um, well, rather view them, I should say. <laughs> 
um, in your living room or wherever you are able to stream. Uh, and there are a lot of different options. And speaking of South by Southwest, they continued to give out their awards, even yes, though. Yes, they did. Yes, even they did. though, and I'm sure that will um, become the norm for some. Uh, and I don't know how this is going to affect things like the Oscars, which they may have to tailor their their uh, their rules in a sense because you're supposed to be you you were supposed to have screened your films for a certain amount of time uh, before they could nominate you. Uh, so maybe even that will change. But at least things are accessible. You can rent films. And you can um, you can buy them, uh, and you know if you if you want to wait a little bit, I'm sure give it a sec. Just like anything, when life was normal, you can be able to rent it eventually for a cheaper price. What I was saying before um, amongst us was since we're big fans of AMC, and we have we're all participants in the AMC A list. I was wondering if AMC ever thought about possibly allowing some of their A-listers, you know, activating our, reactivating our accounts and allowing our, the A-listers to view their stuff online um, because they're having these releases and AMC has their own streaming service. So um, if they were to allow us because, you know, we'd sign in or whatever and they could allow us to stream some of their new releases and maybe the activity of the 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 accounts maybe that can generate some income because that was a really popular thing and so hopefully that would be a way to help them out i mean i'm i'm no business ex expert but uh i mean it's a shame to see it go and i hope that they're able to to pull out because i gladly sign into my ls account and watch some of these uh new releases online uh i don't know how that works but I don't know if that's just, you know, like studio governed, but it would be, it would be actually nice to be able to participate in some way. Um, Absolutely. With some of the new releases. Uh, yep. But for now, I agree. streaming it is. Yes. So, so since uh, we're talking about streaming and, and we were looking at some things to watch and, and yep. get back into doing yes. the show for you guys since we're in episode 60 shout out yes. to 60 i can't believe we've come this far but yes we have we decided man. To, exactly we decided to dig into the digital crates and we we were decided to go into two films that have been highly talked about in uh in social and and all over netflix and and, and just around the industry itself one um the platform so let's start with the platform to wanna <laughs> These are obviously like Netflix originals, I guess. They all are. Um, Crip Camp has a, a deal going on with with the Obamas, which we'll talk about in a little bit later in terms of docs. So we've got like a, a nice little, I guess, dichotomy for you. <laughs> These are definitely that. Um, the mix between uh, uh, narrative film and, and, and documentary. Right. But like two uh, two opposite ends that kind of... I guess try to work together for the better good. Um, and so the first one is a Spanish film uh, out of Netflix's top 10. I think it's out of the top 10 now, but um, so Netflix has this whole top 10 feature and that's how I found the platform. 
um, and thought it was really interesting to check out. Um, it's out of Spain. Uh, it is a Spanish film, but thankfully for lazy ones, <laughs> a little bit like myself, uh, don't get me wrong, I love a good subtitle film, but I was grateful that this had an English track because uh, it's European Spanish it was recorded in. And so directed by, I'm going to do my best here, <laughs> Galder Gastelou Euritia. That's the director's name. He's uh, uh, from Spain uh, and stars a bunch of unknowns, I'm assuming, to us because uh, we're American. Don't really know a great deal of these people. I, seems like they're fairly popular in uh, Spain. Looks like they've had a number of films made in Spain, but uh, Ivan Masag plays Gorung and... Uh, Zorin, oh, forget it. I'm not even going to try. This is ridiculous. <laughs> not even going to start. Okay, so the platform. <laughs> the premise is a vertical prison with one cell per level, two people per cell, one only um, food platform, and two, two minutes per day to uh, feed uh, from up to down. An endless nightmare basically trapped in a hole. So what happens basically is uh, there's like 200 or more floors. Um, and so the platform starts at floor zero and goes all the way down into the depths of the 200s. And everyone has two minutes to eat. Good luck. Not everyone will survive. All right, so Tawana, you start with your, your, your POV on this one. So my POV of it is quite um, perfectly chosen for our current state of affairs worldwide right now, seeing as how we're in a pandemic and people have sort of lost their mind over a variety of things like toilet tissue and really some things that seemed unnecessary to hoard because they're available now. So um, this hits on so many levels. It, it, it speaks to, so I thought about it a little bit. It speaks to humanity and the world we've created for ourselves. Uh, it's, it's about the fight for resources, uh, foods and essentials, which we could really um, understand right now. We really sort of um, resonate with all of that. And it's sort of this desperation which is very reflective of like our pandemic. Um, and it's about, you know, whether we keep our own sense of morals and values or do we succumb to the need to fight and hurt others for what we want, not what we need. Um, and the characters in the film, um, they fall into a couple different uh, parties. They either are being like, ridiculous hoarders for a variety of reasons. Um, not because they think they won't ever eat again, but because some haven't eaten for like a month. Uh, because in the, in the film they move, they tend to move the prisoners around from floor to floor every month. Uh, and so some people used to be on floor 88 and now are on floor seven and are like, I'm gonna eat as much as I can. I don't give a fuck about the people on floor 88 where I just were. I'm hungrier now than I've ever been. And so I think 
that aids to this sort of feeling of um, they have a line in the film. If you, if everyone ate what they needed, everyone will be fed. They call it spontaneous solidarity. Uh, but does that really work? You know, will society ever really have to be, have the ability to do that? You know, does society have to be forced? I mean, it, it, it took me out of the film a little bit in terms of like, once I turned it off, you know, then I turn on the news and I see things like, you know, Trump versus the World Health Organization and the flip-flops back and forth in order to dodge the blame on him versus them versus China versus, the, you know, and it's all about if everyone ate what they needed, everyone could be fed. We can't just place the blame on one or two or three or four other folks. And so in the film, there was a couple of characters who tried to turn the tide and resolve these issues. And I just think that, um, in general, it just, it's quite difficult to maintain that because how do you stop hoarding when you don't know this is coming? And maybe um, that's a lesson for us, too, also, to say, like, you know, let's put some things into place that, that, that won't prevent us from ending up in these horrible situations again. Um, other than that, I, there are moments in this film which remind me a lot of Cube from the 90s. I don't know if anyone's seen that. It's a Canadian film where it was like five or six people were left in this sort of like cube-like structure and they had to find, figure out how to get out of these like uh, cube-like structures that had like, I don't know, like six doors and each door had a different surprise. So it reminded me of that because it, it seemed very dim and grim, very stark lighting, minimal color. Lots of jump cuts. Uh, it really sort of immersed the audience into it in this sort of insane world through like music and tones and structure. But uh, even though I was immersed uh, by all of this, I was overwhelmed because logically a lot of this didn't make sense. And so at times it, it tended to take me out of it. I was down for them and I I was sort of trying to root for them. And then I was just like, this makes no fucking sense towards the end. And I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's cultural. I don't know if in terms of like how their languages translate to our language, it just, I got where they were going and I was rooting for this whole theme of like, you know, let's try to be a little, we are the world. But then again, it, it just isn't possible in a circumstance like that. And I think in regards to our pandemic, it's it takes a lot of, of understanding and a lot of thinking of the haves and the have nots and how do we protect everyone in a circumstance in which we're all kind of fucked. So that was me. What you got, Vaughn? Okay. Well, see, you 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 saw it in a, t a different way than I did from that aspect. What was interesting to me was the character study and how people people will react in in certain kind of situations. You have some people who will right. who will want to help and share and make sure that everybody's taken care of, and then you have other people who are who are selfish in their motive. Even if you think about how the the cellmates were, like. The, you had the the younger guy who was just there to get his education. He was doing he was he chose to be in this prison in order to get his degree, 
right? right. So he he made the choice that he was going to make this sacrifice, this personal sacrifice, to be a part of this this prison system for this for however long it lasts. And I feel like it must have been like a year, but or however long the, the punishment was. But he was only what, supposed to be in there for six months. Six months. Okay. Well, okay. There you go. So if, if you decide, okay, in six months, I'm going to go through this this horrible situation, and but at the end of the six months, I'm going to get my degree, right? So right. he he made though he made those choices. Then you had his cellmate, who was the older man, who was being punished and put in this situation right. because he had killed someone. So yeah. then you have him dealing with it. But what was interesting to me was this idea that. You could decide, okay, I'm going to tie you down, I'm going to strap you down, and I'm going to eat off of you slowly, but I'm not going to kill you so that you can survive at the end of this. But for a little bit of time, we're both going to eat, and I'm going to eat from your flesh. Okay, right. that whole well, that whole concept was very interesting to me. And I was just right. like, okay, would we, would society break down in a way that you could say, all right, I'm just going to have a little... I need to eat, and we're in a situation where we can't eat since the people above us are not sharing. Would we get to that point? And, and since you want to talk about the pandemic, it's interesting how we have been buying more stuff than we actually need. People are going to super, the supermarket 10 times more than they normally would have gone because there's this fear that for some reason every all the food is going to go away or all the toilet paper is going to go away or all the... Right you know, sanitary wipes are going to go away or Perel or whatever the situation is, or even the alcohol. Okay. So right. if you think about how that works out, it was a, it was a, it was a true character study in how each of these characters brought forth some, some human condition that speaks to the class system and how, how the world is set up. Cause you have the haves up top, and you have all the have-nots in the bottom, and then you have all the people in the middle, right? That's your middle-class system. We were, it was just a whole setup there of that middle-class system. But it, apparently, the middle class wasn't sharing with the lower class. You know, the upper class was just giving the middle class the scraps. So it just kept going further and further down, and you would descend into this almost a madness when you got to the bottom. So I think is it was kind of interesting in that way. And the play on the lights, the lighting effects, that red light and that green light, and just the the mood of the film. I don't even remember if there was actually music in the film, but I just I kept every time as I watched it, I was so captivated by how the light would change and the performances were so raw and basic you had to i i the actors I, I can't even imagine how they had to get ready for this kind of role because you had to put yourself in that sense of isolation you know to even understand how you would feel if you had nothing else but the clothes on your back and these little scraps of food that would come down to you however many times a day, you know one time a day and you only had two minutes to eat so that just it just was really striking to me in that way because I felt like this was really kind of perfect to kind of fit into the situation that we all seem to be in. Even though most of us are safe in our own homes, there is a sense of the unsurety of what's going to happen with the future, what's going to happen tomorrow, will we be able to go back to our lives, will we have our jobs? You know, There's so many things at play which are going to affect our economy 
and our our income right. levels and our and our society in general because things are going to change for us after this point in time. This well, this film kind of spoke to that to me. Well, I think I think yes, I think this starts off like, and it's very reminiscent of what's happening now. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word to relate. But anyway, it's very it's very true for what we're doing with now because it's as you were saying in in terms of like the have and the have nots. It's like if you had ignored the have and the have nots all this time because you were sitting high on the hog and you never understood what happened. When you become the person that is the have not, like the woman who put herself in there after she was working for the system for so long, she literally put herself in there to. Um, to understand what happens and 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 what happens where and how, and then realizes that the system is broken and it's not as great as she had pretended or even sold it to be. And so it's just like when you become the have not, you understand that there are people that are hungry, like we are experiencing here in the pandemic. There are children that went to school to eat and now they have to go and do three meal pickups a day because they're starving. Um, there are people who were removed from domestic violence and so now they're getting beat up every day you know they can't escape their bad parents or their bad relationships um because they're stuck in this circumstance and so they're left to survive on their own you know here in new york today they decided the schools won't reopen that's a whole new process so it's like understanding where you were before now we're all sort of some of us are all in the same barrel together because quite honestly, we're always going to have people outside of us. So there's the people that are actually in prison right now who are not receiving the quality they need. There are kids who are poor. There are kids who are starving. And so then there are all these organizations that are gathering together to get foundations and, and, and organizations to pay for things. And so in a sense, um, the character, his name is... Uh, He's got a difficult name to pronounce, I think. His name, no, it's Gorung. Gorung? Gorung. He's the main character in the uh, film, the young man. He yes. he kind of thinks like, he's a very idealistic man and thinks he's going to sort of change the world. No matter what level he's been at, he does not care. He keeps his ideals and, um, I mean... This person is determined. You can't stop a determined person. I mean, he bought a book. You're allowed one item into the prison with you. And he bought a book of all things you could bring. And I think it shows that it was his state of ideals. It was his stance. He was going to um, keep his mind right no matter what the circumstance. He just about survived yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with that in tow. Um, yeah, it's interesting in that way. It was interesting in that way. And the color you were talking about was really interesting because it was driven by um, the controls in the prison. So when the red light was on, um, it was either nighttime when everyone was asleep or rather just bedtime because you can't see daylight in there. Um, and so that was the only light. Once they turned the lights out so you can sleep at night, that was the only light that was visible was that stark ominous red light and then when the food would come the lights were on because I guess it was like your awaken time and the green light was on and so that sort of uh 
change in terms of the light structure was very interesting. It was the only real true direct light they had. Uh, everything else was just really sort of ominous concrete uh, reflected, um, I guess, LED lighting. And so uh, it's, it, it's interesting when you mention that. Also, the, the tricks they played, they did a bunch of jump cuts and... Um, uh, what's that, what's that, uh, trick you can use? Is it velocity where you can make things shake sort of like, uh, Jason's lyric? So when you're editing a piece of work there, that's the, that's the function you would use. And it sort of really takes the figure in this sort of like chaotic, monstrous, like sh shaking state, but it's, it's an interesting view and it's really, um, I really appreciate how they made it. I just, my only thing is, I'll just give my suggestion right now. I say watch it because what the fuck else you got to do? But watch it because also I think you'll gain something from it in the perspective of what we're all going through as a united world at this point. And, um, and I think they did really well until the end when I, they lost me. I got what they were trying to do. But it was very open in a sense. Um, so you could derive your own meaning from it. But it, it, it also added to a little bit of confusion, but um, it was definitely a ride if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, definitely a ride. I I, um, I watched it again. I watched it twice because I felt like I wanted to Wow, really you watched it twice? I I was uncomfortable with it because everybody was uncomfortable with it because of I think yeah. it's if we were watching it in a different time and you've mentioned the pandemic several times already but I yes. think if we were watching it in a different time we wouldn't have the same it wouldn't have the same impact I think it right. speaks to where we are but I watched yeah. it just from a separate lens because I wanted to try to understand the yeah. message and yeah. so I I think that and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody I just want you to to sit with it let it okay. resonate with you. Let it resonate with you in a way that you can kind of process it. I, I'm glad that Netflix chose to put this film out there, you know, because it could have went, it could have went away. This is, you know, very, very not your typical American flair of, well, no, of storytelling. But I think, I think that it's, I think that it's interesting that you you get to see this kind of character study because it speaks to what what people will do. And I also see potential for an American version of this because this this has this has somebody wanting to do this all over it. Cause we oh, yeah. can't we I'm can't certain. see because it's 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 masterful in the way it was done. And I it's think masterful. that well it got the TIFF Award, which is a is that Toronto Film Festival, right? Um it won the TIFF. So uh, and it won an uh Tremendous amount of awards, apparently. Yeah, so it's, it's gonna, um, it's gonna, it's it's got people talking about it. So I, I feel like it's gonna have a, a more life way beyond this. But um, the thing is, though, is if 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 Americans remake it, it won't be as impactful because they've got <laughs> far too many political ramifications and uh, cultural norms that it may offend or not offend. And I know we don't give a shit about that. But you know the powers that be do, 
And so I don't think they'd be able to make it as efficiently as they did in Spain uh, because I think yeah, they, we just weren't raised but, question, man. But could you <laughs> but could you imagine a better like metaphor or whatever for trickle down economics though? I, I cannot. Absolutely. I cannot. <laughs> that's, that's all I thought about, Kevin. That's all Perfect. I thought about. Once again, thank you for sitting in and, and doing audio today because um you're making yeah. it happen for us and, and you're making the show possible today. Happy to be here. I wasn't gonna say anything, but like it just the the entire film was just like this is why Reaganomics doesn't work. Exactly. exactly. Because and people don't share. Yeah. Uh, don't share at all. And it's it's so evident. And I know I've mentioned the pandemic so many times, but it's just because it's so interrelatable, you know? It it's so perfect for where we are right now. And it's funny how we pick these films and then they wind up being so so important for current life, you know. It's art imitates life and life imitates art, you know. Absolutely. So uh, let's move on to your film. I don't know if it's my film, but it's a film. Uh, Crip Camp. What do you mean your film in terms of the subject matter? And once we start speaking about it, people will understand. But I don't mean your film in terms of the subject matter. I just meant this was your choice. I chose platform. You know what I mean? Um, don't don't put him in that box. I'm not him in a box. In the box. But I'll, I'll take I the put box you in like no that. box. That's why I said I did not say this was your film specifically because of the dial. I mean, because of the subject matter. I just meant you chose this film. So, Got it. well, so and so ahead, okay, so you go ahead and start it. Really, uh, not just like you always do. I know. I know. Well, I, I will start in terms of the synopsis of what the what the doc is about, but I want you to talk yes. to producer. I'm going to speak on to it all day. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> I know you will, because I, I mean, I, I'm I'm merely a guest in this world, and I've been since I've met you. So, um, but I'm I'm eager and and have been absorbent of all the lessons. So, anyway, this film called Crip Camp. Uh, down the road from Woodstock, a revolution a revolution blossoms at a ramshackle summer camp for teenagers with disabilities, transforming their lives and igniting a landmark movement. On. Okay, so I guess I get to talk about this now. Um, yeah. Crip Camp. Okay, <laughs> you know, just what was what was First of all, I'm, a, I'm a, a student of documentary, and I love watching documentary films. And I think that this was one of those films that I'm so glad that they were able to do, and I'm so glad they were to, able to get funded. And I want to thank Michelle and Barack Obama for making this possible and bringing this project to Netflix as one of their, as part of their deal with Netflix that they were bringing films like this to to show examples of life outside of what is considered the quote unquote norm. And um, this film, this film was really, was really special to me because yeah. I, I personally have gone to one of these types of camps. And um, as a person with a disability, most of you who may or may not know, I'm actually, I use a wheelchair and um, growing up, my parents sent me to this uh, camp in South Carolina that was called Camp Burnt Gin. 
and it was for children with disabilities. And I was, uh, I guess, maybe 10, 11, somewhere in there, 12, somewhere in that age when I went to the camp. And I did want to go because I grew up in a situation where I was mainstream. So I never was around any other disabled kids. I went to school with kids that were just like everybody else. And so there was no, I was usually the only disabled person in a classroom. And in my own personal life, I was the only person in my family. And so my, my life wasn't adapted for disability. So it was just, this is what you got. This is how you live. Here you are. You know, you go to school every day, you come home. You deal with your friends, you go back to school the next day. It wasn't, there was no specific thing other than me having the operations and me going through physical therapy. I would have that part of my life and dealing with all of that. And then I would have regular kid life of going to school and coming home and dealing with the family and your friends. So I didn't have a situation of disabled role models or people to see as examples of, oh, this is what it's like. This is the experience. So going to that camp was the first time for me where I met other kids with disabilities. And no, no disability is the same. So we were all kind of different, but we brought we brought that to the table and our own version of ableism and our feelings about being disabled in America because we were all in that same kind of space and being preteen, we were still trying to navigate our way about what that meant and how we were gonna live. But of course, since it was, for me, it was the late 70s, early 80s, it was so, you know, we were, in a, we were just in a different time. So I think that the people in this film laid the foundation for people like me to come along after. And, and they opened the door that I didn't even realize was a thing. You know what I mean? Because we just, right. we had to, you just lived. And I had, you know, there were ramps and accessibility by the time that I grew up. You know, we had more opportunity and more accessibility. So I think that for them to have open this door and to, to lay this foundation. You know, they were part of the first Disabilities Act movement of the 60s that was also part of the, the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement. All these things kind of layered themselves together. And it was these, they're the forefathers, the ancestors of all these big, powerful movements that happened in this country. And, you know, sadly, we're still being affected by it because a lot of the things that they talked about in this film the invisibility, the the lack of personhood, all of the all of the things that people, the, the sense of pity that you get from people, all of that still lives today. You know, people still don't understand people with disabilities. They don't they don't know what it means. They think you're you're some kind of oddity. You're something to be pitied. You're something to be prayed for, as opposed to just being the person that you are. A lot of times, we're identified by the objects that we use as support or to get around our mobility. So people will refer to the wheelchair as opposed to referring to me or to the fact that I have a disability as opposed, as opposed to referring to me. So I think what this film did was to open that up and have that, that conversation and that dialogue. I agree. It really, it really highlighted a lot of things that I never uh, knew. Um, as an, as an, I guess they, we were called what able-bodied people. Right. Um, 
as able-bodied the people, <laughs> just problematic, you say? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Give me a better term. There is no better I... term. This is the term. It there is, is the, the term. There is no better term. But by by using the term, it implies that anybody that's not is not. You understand what I'm saying? It, it says something. It says something else. It's about I, it's I ableism. It's ableism in its all its powers. In all its powers. Well, Go ahead. as a person who's grown up without a disability, I will say, um, and having met you, as I'll, I'll give like a tiny bit of history, right? So we met in film school, right? We're good friends. We met in film school, um, and our our. Oddly enough, our, our only uniqueness, our only identifying factors, common identifying factors were that we were black. And we were only black people in classes. And so you um, audited a class and I was, I think I was the only black person in that class because it was a lot like that uh, at the new school, which has changed by the way. They've got like a black president and he's also gay and they've got all these, all these options for people of all these, uh, ethnicities and cultural backgrounds and, 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 and lifestyles to be able to go to the school now. And so I'm so happy to see that they have a much fuller, uh, well-rounded uh, student base uh, because when we went, uh, we were one of few in the class. And so I'm glad to see that they've um, in, improved the staff and, 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 things around the school. So anyway, so we, we, we met when you audited the class briefly. And then there was another time where I saw you again. Um, we, we eventually ended up in classes together because we you audited when I, I was in my undergrad, I think. Uh, whatever. But <laughs> we eventually met up again in our master classes. And so I remember seeing you come down the street and you were walking towards um, uh, what's that building on like 12th or 11th where we would uh, rent uh, equipment. And I remember seeing you roll down the street and you that had was like Arnold Hall. Yeah, 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 Arnold Hall. And you were rolling down the street with like four packs of equipment on you, and you just slung it all around your neck. The the freaking uh, tripod, the camera body, whatever sort of accessories kit we had. And I was just like <laughs> looking at you and sort of all oh, like, oh, I've got nothing to fucking complain about. What the fuck? And so from then on, I'm the oldest of like six kids or so. And a lot of them are boys. And I, from that point on, I just, whenever they gave me a complaint, I was like, let me tell you about my fucking friend. So, um, who is a fucking master student in a film school um, that poses a great number of physical challenges, but he takes them on every fucking day in a city that doesn't respect him, um, and yet he still lives harder than anybody I've ever known. So, you know, if you think you got some challenges, you know, step into the body of some of these people like Vaughn who, who have been dealing with this unabashedly and heroically in a sense, and I don't mean heroically to be demean it. I mean it to say, wow, to your sense 
of life, wow to your sense of will, some people could really learn a lesson from you and the people in, 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 in your community. Um, so I, now that I'm done with that, <laughs> I will talk about the film. Uh, yeah, I, thank you, Tawana. I appreciate that. Go ahead, Kevin. I just want to say that the irony here, Vaughn, is that I actually had the exact opposite experience that you did growing up because I have a number of people in my family who um, have either physical or developmental um, disabilities that they've had to deal with their entire life. So I right. grew up with a, a number of people um, in that situation. Um, but I, you know, I, I did get to see a little bit of the film and I thought that like it, it reminded me of growing up with my family because of the sense of humor in it, um, which I really, okay. really loved. Um, and just the way that seeing people when they come together who have that commonality um, and are able to flourish and really be themselves and not have the first thing that someone sees about them is their disability, I thought was absolutely amazing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. And, and my, my, I think my favorite line of the whole film is when they're, when they're introducing themselves and the one woman says, you know, my name is something and I was run over by a car and someone in the background screams out congratulations, I thought to me yeah. was like like the epitome of <laughs> my experience growing up. Like it was just absolutely I, amazing. I think that's funny how you say that that's your experience growing up because that's my experience with Vaughn. Um, when people see us or people separately ask me about it and they go, oh, all the questions, like we've gone on vacation together, we've, we've hung out together, all the time we've gone places together um a million times over and people either assume i'm his attendant or assume that i have to help him in some regard and i was like no nah, he's fucking fine <laughs> he may have to help me um <laughs> and then, and the jokes i make around people when i say things about vaughn or and and it's and they think they take it offensively but i'm not taking it offensively because I've never seen Vaughn as a man in a chair. I've seen Vaughn as a man and right. his chair has never been an issue for us. I will say for me, it has never been an issue for me, but what it has done is highlighted and, and brought to, to mind all the necessities in this world and how he lives. And there was a, a, a moment in the film where um, one of the um, one of the uh, the campsters, right? Because uh, they go on about our, their lives, and we'll talk about that in a minute, real quick. But they go on about their lives and how they lived in. And he talks about how he wanted to participate in this protest, and so he went to the protest, but he ended up in uh, Grand Central Station. And if you've ever been to Grand Central Station in New York, shit today. I mean, I think they probably have elevators now, but back then I can imagine all the fucking steps he had to climb to get out because he said that there were no elevators, so he had to pull his chair up and climb one step at a time. When I met Vaughn, he was living in a brownstone in Brooklyn, and I thought this motherfucker lived on the first floor, like the garden apartments. This guy lived on the fucking second floor, and <laughs> And when we got there, he slung his fucking chair on one arm and pulled himself up the fucking steps. And I was like, oh, my God, do you need help? Like, what the fuck? He was like, no, I do this every day. And I was just like, 
That is the life of Vaughn. So I've been with him when he when the elevators didn't work in fucking MTA shitty situation, and he's had to like climb his way out of a station, either pulling that chair or me helping out carrying it up the stairs. And it's it's a, it's a it's a life that doesn't change. And because people are who they are, afflicted with various ailments various disabilities does not mean we start treating them so super delicately. I could punch him in the head at any time. He might punch <laughs> me back. But <laughs> oh, I will punch back. I, I mean, it's, we always play around. And I say, stick and move, man. Stick and move. Because <laughs> if I don't get out the way, he'll grab me. But, <laughs> but I say all that to say, to add to Kevin's um, statement, yeah, I mean, nothing, it's never been a... a, a I'm so grateful that we've never had a relationship that it's been like I've ever been his attendant. Never has that been the case. We've right. always been equal footing, and I'm so grateful for that because I actually don't see him at all as that. And sometimes I actually fucking forget, really, <laughs> when we're traveling. It's interesting. it's interesting you say that because a lot of times a bunch of my friends from college and people that I grew up with including my own family members, will they will forget about the chair. They're like, oh, well, just go, go, oh, we forgot to get the chair. Oh, we, let's get the chair. Oh, where is the chair? Like, there's all these things. And then you just, you just kind of, you live in the moment, or they're so hypersensitive to the fact that, oh, that building doesn't have a ramp. Oh, that building, what's wrong with right. this elevator? Why isn't this elevator working? Or, right. you know, they, they notice things that, I have seen all the time, and I work around, but they exactly. start to notice things that are I not right in a situation. Yeah, I mean, I've no, I like I said, be, because we've always been together um, since we've become friends. I've noticed things like I'll, I'll sometimes I'll say, "Well, let's just get off at this stop," and then I'll forget, like, "Oh shit, no, 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 that stop doesn't have a fucking elevator. That's not the way we can do it." But at the same time, I'm like uber sensitive sometimes to people who disrespect you and your movements around the world. And I'm like, the fuck out of here. Like, you don't see them coming? Fuck it. <laughs> sometimes Juan has to be like, Juana. Um, they'll beat up lady. <laughs> but, you know, it's it just all out of respect to my friend. And, you know, I don't think he should be disrespected any more than anyone else because he's in a wheelchair. And, you know, sometimes I, like I said, I forget about it. And sometimes it's more heightened because I, I see the inaccessibilities that I've taken for granted, all, you know, all my life. But um, I wanted to talk about um, Crip Camp a little bit. I, I, I like the structure in which it was created. It exists in sort of these three chapters. So it exists in like the camp, the civil rights movement, and then um, CIL, which is the Center for Independent Living, which according to Vaughn, this was before the ADA even existed, right Vaughn? Yes. So that's how the movie was structured. And so Gen Ed was the camp. And so it was sort of a Woodstock for, as we explained, for people with uh, physical and functional disabilities. Am I saying that right? Yes. Okay, so, you know, people with polio, people with cerebral palsy, people with blindness, functional illnesses, and so on and so on. And so I like how they presented this first chapter as a place where people felt that, like, they could be more inclusive, you know, um, no matter the circumstances, as we were just describing our, our relationships with you. 
Um, and uh, just all races, all creeds, all cultures, all accessibilities. Uh, um, I really enjoyed listening to their true feelings about their life. Um, for instances, uh, uh, was, was her name Nancy? I think her name was Nancy. There were two Nancys in the film. Uh, but one one Nancy in particular, and I'm assuming she had cerebral palsy, um, but she was speaking about her lack um, her lack of privacy, her lack of her right to privacy. Um, they said that they had two parents. Like you, you were lucky if you you had good parents who who loved you a lot and took care of you. But also, then they would be afflicted by their um, overprotection, and so the lack of their right to privacy was a big deal. Um, their lack to their sexuality was a big deal because they weren't seen as people that they were seen as, as asexual almost, right? Um, and it just seemed like uh, the camp just gave them this sense of freedom that they had never had before um, anywhere. Um, and then not only that, people were coming from a variety of places in a variety of settings. Uh, some were institutionalized, some had homes, some had been in schools. They weren't like home schooled or just like um, in certain situations where then they were not allowed to like participate with everyone. Uh, but this sort of like seemed to have exposed them to this whole new world, to places they'd never been or seen before. And they were coming home um, with all these new cultures and new things and new ways of being. And then the second chapter was the rehab bill, uh, section 504, and one of the campers, uh, Judith Human, and uh, and her whole huge push towards civil rights and um, just accessibilities in, in, in cities and, and homes and schools. And they briefly touched on Willowbrook um, and then the third chapter was, uh, the CIA in California, the Center for Independent Living in, um, San Francisco, no less, which I don't know how the fuck, <laughs> San Francisco is hilly as fuck. I mean, God bless them, because I can imagine getting around that, especially when the accessibility was nil, um, was crazy. And so I like that chapter a lot too, because it started to talk about how, they would develop their own careers and they talked about their sexualities and how these, the, um, the camp kids sort of took the world by storm and, um, you know, occupied government buildings in San Francisco. And they discussed about like how the Black Panthers fed them and other civil rights organizations jumped on. And um, that whole occupation of that one particular government building was really highlighted in depth in terms of like, the amount of struggle and sacrifice they gave up as people um, with disabilities and their varying disabilities and their varying cares and how they really were like doing hunger strikes and stretching outside the limits of their, their I guess, their particular normalcy and how they really gave that up to, to occupy this building because they were a force to be reckoned with because they were fighting for their rights and and um and how they push forward and in a discussion with Yvonne it was just like 
how a lot of that shit didn't even really come to play until like ADA was like into existence and and, and that, ADA and ha- didn't happen until the nineties. That was nineteen ninety, yeah. by the way. So if you think of all this, like the Rehabilitation Act was nineteen seventy three, and it took all these years to get from nineteen seventy three to nineteen ninety with the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's right. that's a long span of years. Oh yeah, that there was in this fight, and so it what 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 it woke me up into the because you know I didn't know I didn't know about this history. You know, mm. as a person with a disability, this wasn't something that I knew anything about, about other than obviously ADA. I didn't know anything about that, you know, because yeah. I was too young to know anything about it. I, like I said, I lived the fruits of their labor, of their sacrifice. Because by the yeah. time, right. you know, I was able to get around on my own independently and even just, you know, as a, as a kid, there was all these things already. You know what I mean? But it was because of the Rehabilitation Act that had happened and that led me into ADA in the 1990s. You understand what I'm saying? So it was yeah. it was because of them making the sacrifice that they made that made life easier for me. Right. And because I grew up in a system where I was mainstreamed anyway, I was lucky enough to be able to go to school like everybody else and not be relegated off to being in an institution or or um, being hospitalized and not able to go to school or being homeschooled all the time, like a lot of these people were, because the schools were, were not trying to accommodate them. In, right. in, I never had that. Or put in, like, special ed. A lot of people right. got put in special ed right. when they were they were able-minded. They were fine. There was nothing wrong. They, the schools were just... That was the school's way of, of ostracizing them. Yeah. Pretty much. So I think that, you know, what I loved about the film beyond the storyline itself was just the fact that they were able to use archival footage and bring us us from that period in time. Because I I truly felt like we were in the 70s. You know what I mean? I felt like we were in the late 60s, early 70s in the beginning and how they brought us forward using Mm -hmm. the archival footage. Because what if that had never happened? What if this guy had never taken a camera there? you know, and had those guys, that crew that came and to shoot those kids, if that had never happened, we would have never had this footage. And so I think that as filmmakers, we all understand what it means to go out and shoot and to to try to tell these kinds of stories and and be able to archive these periods in life. Because if we didn't have this, we would not be able to see this story if that footage never existed. And I tell people all the time, you need to you need to take photographs. You need to uh, shoot videos. You need to do these things to chronicle these moments in time. And, I, and I'm sure there are people doing it right now because we're living in a time that I don't want people to forget about. And I feel like if we did not have this kind of footage to have this kind of conversation, it would have just been your typical talking head kind of documentary. But they were able yeah. to show us slices of life of these people's lives. And they were showing us footage and the fact that they actually had full lives. You had marriages, you had people who were having kids and all this other stuff and, and families and stuff like that. And, their, and we, we got the reflection of their children later talking about their parents. And that's right. something we would have not been able to have if people wouldn't have been archiving and, and capturing these moments. I love there was a, there was a moment where um, 
I'm sorry, I don't know their names. Um, there was a moment in a film where they were asking two campers who had later married, and they were asking them, you know, how do you, you know, feel about your family because uh, they had married and they had children, and and they were saying, um, you know, how does your, you know, did you all, did you always want to be a father? And he said, yes, I always wanted to be a father because to that child, I'm daddy. I'm nothing other than that. I don't have right. this. I'm not that. I'm dead. I'm everything to that person. And that meant so much because to everyone else, he may not have looked like he would be responsible. And he wound up being a fucking bank manager. His wife was a writer. And they had a plentiful family. I mean, so it, it, it just goes to show the whole bullshit of judging a book by its cover is 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 never been a wise choice. Yeah, and as someone who's worked all their lives and done all kinds of jobs in every single industry, I think that it just speaks to the fact that, you know, you just have to let people live their lives and be who they are because everybody has a story to tell and everybody brings something different to the table. And one good thing about this film, they also talked about those invisible disabilities. So it's not just about people with mobility disabilities and, and things like that. They also talked about the, the cognitive disabilities and such as that. And I think that that's the conversation where this is going to go into next, because I think what this did was open a door, but as, as an advocate for people with disabilities at my job, especially I've been doing lately, I think that in having this conversation with people, I think that we have to open the door to realize that there are people with varying degrees of disabilities in this country and, and we're not going to be the silent ones anymore. And we're, we're going to be the voices of, of acceptance and acknowledgement and all of that. Cause we're not going to be invisible behind the scenes in the shadows as it were. And I think that it has to happen because like you said, you know, we, we actually are living full and, and vested lives. We date, we have relationships, we have careers, we have, we have families. So it's not just like, we're just like everybody else. We're just in a different situation. So yeah. I think that what this film spotlights and films like it, because this won't be the last, I think that it's just one of those things that it just opens people's eyes to a certain thing. And I, I know that um, it opened my eyes to the history of Mine all is of it. You know, and I think that that's the thing that, because you don't get these kinds of conversations in school. We don't, we barely learn anything about our own past in this country. So I think that this kind of thing opens a door and I hope that documentary filmmakers and, and other storytellers tell these kinds of stories and not be afraid to tell it. Because I work at an ad agency and I'm always a proponent of showing more representation of people with disabilities in the ads. You know, because you see, you see all this multicultural casting. You see a white woman and a black man and, a, and an Asian man and a white woman and, and so on and so forth of all the ethnicities. But now I want to see more people with disabilities in the spots. Absolutely. Because we, you have to show the world and how it really is. I want to be represented in the ads too. I want to see myself on the screen. And there have been very few films, and I talk to you about this all the time, Tawana, where I right. actually see people with disabilities living full invested lives. And, and, 
And I want to see more of that. And as when I came into wanting to be in journalism and then later into film, my move, my move was always about being more representative in these kinds of things. And so in showing what life really is, and as far as advertising was related to me, it was first about being black. But now as I look into film, I want more representation of people with disabilities and so on and so forth. So I think that these kinds of things open the doors to that. Now, I'm so glad that it's out there and people are having a conversation and I want more of it to happen because I think that for too long, and and you know, even they, they even touched on the fact that how disabled people were shown in films was always the monster. It was the hunchback of Notre Dame. It was all of these kind of marginalized, fictionalized beast and, and not quite something or dis- deformed and, and twisted in, in almost that ugly way that made people fear it because you were either fearing it, turning your eyes away, or you were sick and not able to function. You were, you were just not able to be a part of something because you were not well enough. You know what I mean? So I think that yeah. these kinds of things and showing their full breadth of their life to show them from being teenagers to being adults and older, having families and so on and so forth, gave me a full sense of who all of these people were. Exactly. You know, and I their full life. I think this this documentary is great. And like you said, I learned a lot and I'm really happy about it. And I really hope that our listeners um, follow through and, and check it out. I think if you're a fan of documentaries, um, you should definitely give this a viewing. Also, uh, Vaughn put me on some news that the Obamas have this deal with Netflix about all these social justice films, docs that they have coming out. And so I'm excited to see what comes next in their lexicon of work, because um, uh, as we all know, uh, his presidency has been a lot about civil justices and civil rights. And um, I'm curious to see what else they spotlight and... um, I'm happy it's available. So if you um, are interested in this conversation and you've enjoyed it, um, we thank Vaughn very much for sharing a lot of his life there. Um, Thank you. And so because of that, we say, uh, please check out this Netflix episode, uh, film. Um, And uh, we'll we'll come back to you as we can. Yeah. (laughs) of the pandemic apocalyptic world. We're so (laughs) glad that you were here for this episode. So if you like us, please be sure to check this out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And don't forget to use the hashtag, hashtag BBM podcast in this place and time where we are. We hope that you have some suggestions on what we maybe could see. So, uh, and discuss. So, uh, Thank you so much for being here, Vaughn. Thank you. I miss you. <laughs> I miss you too. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Happy and for everyone out there, yeah, everyone out there, stay safe, stay home, and support your local businesses because Absolutely. they need to. Yes. Thank you, first responders. Yes, yes. Thank you. Every single day at 7 o'clock, go out there, stick your head out of the window, and fucking clap. It ain't stupid. These people are saving your fucking lives. They're heroes. Thank you for the F-bombs, Tawana. Yeah, you're welcome. MTA workers, 
our chefs, janitors, everyone that's out there that's like doing things that we are not doing. We respect your work and we appreciate it. Thanks for showing up, guys. We'll see you when we see you. This is Beer Bourbon. And, and the movie. Oh,